Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our DevLife series. Hello and welcome to Codish. I am developer advocate Chris Castle. And today we have a pretty, pretty interesting episode, I think, Meditation for the Curious Skeptic. And I have my guest here, Andrew Leonards. Um, can you share a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and why you're interested in this topic? Uh, sure. So um, I write user interfaces right now. Uh, I've been coding for about 20 years. Um, in my current role, I'm a tech lead, and that puts me in a people and mentorship role. And part of how I feel like I'm effective in doing that is um, I spent a decent amount of time meditating in and practicing mindfulness to the point that I've become a certified mindfulness meditation coach. And that puts me in, I guess, a little bit of a hybrid situation. I'm in a role now where I do both coding and uh, wellness, uh, remote wellness teaching um, in this coaching role. So let's jump into it. So like, what is meditation? from the, the perspective of like, why should I care about this thing? Help me. I'm a, I'm a busy person. My time's short. What is this meditation yeah. <laughs> thing I keep hearing about? And like, yeah, maybe just start with kind of the basics of like, what, what is meditation? Meditation, when we just use that term, it's, it's interesting because um, it probably now we're at a point where there's, a, there's enough consciousness in, you know, kind of North America and, and such that you kind of have a notion or at least you have a, an idea of like, yeah, I know what that is. But meditation is actually a very wide category. So it would be sort of, in essence, comparable to sports or music. So when, when I tell someone I meditate, that's it's not r- remarkably helpful in sort of locating me within the actual practice traditions and, and things along those lines. So it's, it's helpful to at least kind of point out that what has become popular, at least in the United States and North America, is a particular flavor of meditation that is one that is somewhat simplistic or, or sim- simple in a good way, mm-hmm. um, straightforward. Yeah. And it involves uh, this idea of mindfulness. So meditation is the practice of familiarizing the mind with particular states. And in doing that familiarization of the mind with these particular states that we can begin to train into the mind traits. And so the system that I'm trained in is, a, is looking at meditation and mindfulness from a skills perspective. And that whenever we're meditating, we're bringing together three skills. And it's concentration or concentration power, mm-hmm. clarity, and equanimity. Okay. So when we're meditating, we're bringing about or we're training in some way concentration, which we can think about is our ability to place our attention where we want for as long as we want. Or another way to think about it is whatever we deem important, we can place our attention and hold it there. Hmm. And then clarity is really, we can extrapolate a little bit that this is sensory clarity. So I'm able to real time track what's going on in my body, my sensory experience. And then the benefit of this is that I'm now sort of using more of what's available to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just using my cognitive abilities. I'm being able to tune into the other aspects that are available to me. And then the last one is equanimity. And this is an idea of not pushing or pulling on our experience, Mm 
So when some people hear equanimity, they think it's like, you're going to be that yoga teacher person who has the very calm talk. Yeah. <laughs> nothing will bother me and you don't harsh my mellow. Yeah. It's not that. It's this ability to be like, right now things suck and I can be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of of to a certain extent or right now things are awesome and I know this isn't going to last so that gives us this idea of of this ability to push or pull on what's kind of going on and so it's these three skills concentration clarity and equanimity yep. that we bring together uh, in this type of meditation and that's the predominant meditation form that we're really seeing yeah so um Vox Explained did a thing on Netflix mm-hmm. uh, about uh, the mindfulness, the modern mindfulness movement. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. Like, we, it's, it's in the news or it's in, like, um, it's in popular culture a lot these days. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted yeah. to dig into that a little bit. Well, it's not just in the, the popular culture, too. It's, it's appearing in places like the Harvard Business Review, mm-hmm. and we're seeing it in contexts that may not have been the contexts for where, you know, where the traditions have come from. Yep. Um, so the, the mindfulness movement uh, episode that Vox did was really helpful in pointing out that it's a, it's a narrow band of the practices that are actually kind of moved into and become popular within uh, North America. Mm. The aspect in that, they, um, they interviewed uh, Dr. Richard Davidson, who's done a ton of research. Um, he's the head of the Healthy Minds Institute at uh, University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at kind of what are the habits or patterns of healthy minds. So there's this, you know, positive psychology movement, this idea of, you know, not just studying the dis-ease or what is is not going well for people, but looking at what is going right, like focusing on outliers. Interesting, yeah. Um, that's w- kind of one hopefully reverent shorthand for the positive psychology movement. Yeah. And so so what, what Dr. Davidson is kind of pulling into the neuroscience space is what do healthy minds look like? Mm-hmm. So we put them in fMRI. This is the functional magnetic reg- uh, resonance imaging technology that's available. Um, when we put someone in an fMRI, they're making uh, deductions about based on on the flow of blood within the brain or the flows within the brain, what that corresponds to for the different connections. Yep. So we're not, you know, we're not working with a map of like exact certainty, but we can begin to look at what does the structure of a healthy mind look like? And then what is the structure of a meditator, somebody who's in their uh, terminology in their research, an Olympic meditator. <laughs> yep. So this is somebody who's got 10,000 hours or more. Okay. And then finally the, Harvard Business Review and others, I think the, as knowledge work becomes more and more prevalent, there's a desire to look at what does good knowledge work look like or what, is, what does knowledge work look like for people who are able to be resilient and then also not necessarily burn out, yeah. perhaps. So we start to see, you know, the research, organizational research around like what's the cost of, of transition for replacing a software engineer or replacing a tech lead or replacing, um, you know, an interaction designer or a UX professional. And so that desire to see how do we create a culture that supports individuals being fulfilled in knowledge work in a way that's beneficial for the overall organization. I think that's part of the driver kind of behind a lot of this. Yeah, It's interesting. So you say knowledge work, which to me means like people that sit at a desk and use a computer um, for their job. It makes sense for that because so much of, of that work, it's not just like, oh, I'm just a typer. I don't, I'm typing all day. It's more that like I'm, I'm spending time thinking all day, whether it's writing an email and figuring out how to craft it, the email in the right way and kind of like simple and clear, or whether it's like writing code for something and kind of, 
designing on the fly, like what, what the structure of this software is going to look like. Those are things that are very cerebral. And so it makes sense to do work that helps my cerebellum, my, my brain. The interesting thing though, right, is, is, the specialization point is very interesting because it, it sort of forces us to work to our strengths, which for a lot of us is interpreted as everything from the neck up. Yeah. And that puts us in this sort of inherently imbalanced situation. Mm. And then so much of what we do in order to come together to solve problems is people oriented. Yeah. And so if I'm in my head trying to relate to you, yep. uh, it's going to be a, uh, in a low fidelity or digital experience when it could be an analog experience where I could be bringing in all of the input that is within from a standpoint of, of perspective taking and empathy and things that I'm able to get out of the body when I kind of am, am showing up in a way that's skillful. Yeah. And like, uh, I know, at least for both of us, my father uh, is an engineer. Mm-hmm. I believe your father's an engineer as well. And so I yeah. was very much raised with this I, this ethos of um, Spock as being like someone to strive kind of for to yeah. a certain extent. The perfectly rational being. Yeah. Yes. And so the interesting thing that we see in, in psychology, there's this uh, this individual that in the psychology literature is referred to as, as Elliot, mm-hmm. and he has lost the ability to feel emotion. And so we would think of this as like, oh, this guy's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. And he, <laughs> he has, uh, it's documented in the literature that he has an intense time being able to make decisions or do sort of these natural things. And so that we, we, there are a lot of things that are, are emo- we're emotionally drawn to mm-hmm. that we may not realize the emotion, the emotional draw in those components. Yeah. And so bringing in this idea of being able to be aware of how I'm showing up in the world is, um, is remarkably helpful. And so, so mindfulness becomes this sort of, um, you know, developer perspective, this monitoring and observability yep. tool yep. for us. And so just like having logging in my system is not going to magically solve all my problems, mindfulness becomes a way for us to begin to see what's behind that angry email or what's behind why I hate every time this person reviews my code. Yep. Uh, and then we can begin to use that as raw data to help us pull that into other situations. And so the, you know, we, we tend to not lo- yell at logs or, you know, in my, <laughs> my worst situations, I've yelled at a log or two, yeah. but when we get a log file, it's, it's, you know, it's one of these things of, we're probably going to trust it maybe 90, 95%, but the log then becomes helpful in that I can now take that log to another member of my team or from, I can bring that to a therapist or a mental health mm-hmm. professional, like this idea that I can bring the mindfulness quote unquote log of like how I'm, how I'm feeling or what's showing up for me. I can bring that into these other contexts and mindfulness isn't solving the problem, but it's sort of surfacing these patterns. And then we can use that surface then to kind of look at how would we bring some ability to, to um, be more skillful around it. And so ultimately, like to me, the, the benefit for me was I showed up for my team in a way where I was less like a jerk. Mm-hmm. I was less likely to fly off the handle and I was more stable. Yeah, definitely. Like not, not only not negatively impacting the people around me, but ideally, and especially as like a team lead or someone who's managing other people, you're like helping to get the best or help that person perform yeah. at their best um, as opposed to their maybe 
on guard if they're if they're kind of unsure <laughs> how you're going to show up at any point. For sure, yeah. for sure. Yeah, let's so kind of going going along with that skeptic um, theme. One thing I remember kind of being curious about when I was learning about meditation and mindfulness, and I'm still learning about, is is its connection to religion. You know, there's like the Buddhist faith, which meditation is kind of very, very deeply tied to. And and so, you know, there's people that that are very drawn to religious and and kind of like spiritual um, experiences. And then there's some people that are very skeptical of that. So I'm curious, yeah, like what is, what's your understanding of, of the relationship between meditation and the religions that it's kind of tied to, or, or maybe even not tied to? I think this is a super important thing. And, and my introduction to meditation was, was finding out that uh, Google was training their engineers to meditate. And, and I found this out as a result of kind of watching their YouTube channels. And I was like, why are there Buddhist monks there? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so one one perspective to begin with would be that that mindfulness is sort of a human birthright. And that quality of awareness that we're talking about is something that is drawn into the practices of religion in a way that helps shape and create the significance of those religions. Mm-hmm. That may not be a super popular perspective, but that's yeah. one framing of that. And and so because of that, the power of that quality, the power of presence, the power of being here kind of in quote unquote, in the moment, we kind of conflate these two things together. So we have this sort of experience of mindfulness and, and bringing them together with whatever the faith tradition is. And so there is, there is sort of a wisdom tradition, quote unquote, that, that comes up. So this is borrowing from a fellow coach of mine, uh, Brent Oliver, um, but I'm repurposing it in different sports speak. The, the one way of looking at this in a concrete way about the meditation, mindfulness, and, and religion aspect is, if I teach you to skate, have I taught you to play hockey? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, bringing in this idea that the system that I'm trained in, the unified mindfulness system that I'm trained in as a coach, it's very skills based. And so, uh, so if we use Buddhism as hockey here, which I'm a, a significant hockey fan, yeah. um, if I teach you to skate, you're, you're not a hockey player. Yep. Uh, you could be, yep. uh, you know, there's a lot more the, the hand-eye coordination and all these other sort of, of, um, physical aspects that go along with it. Right. And so the, the hope, at least from a positive benefit to everyone that if we teach you to skate, you can figure out if you want to be a speed skater mm. or a figure skater or yep. a hockey player. And then you take that core skill and turn it into what you want to do to, uh, alter and improve how you show up skillfully in whatever it is that you're endeavoring to do. Yeah, maybe one one a, another way to approach it or another way to think about it is that that's that's fascinating to me is like this thing that is very very old and tied to kind of the fuzziness or non scientificness of of religion has kind of been proven by science or, or proven to have some benefits by by science. Yeah, and the and the the science is very important. But the ability to kind of bootstrap a, a meditation practice, I think, is is being aware of, of some aspect of the science and then having someone that you kind of know and respect that it's worked for. Yeah. Um, and so I had an individual that he works for, you know, one of the big high respected tech companies. Yeah. And you could tell he was still stressed, but he was handling the situation kind of in a way that was like, oh, like this 
this is working like this is worth looking into yep. and ultimately it's your exploration of it of whether it, it matches or I, I would offer that sort of david epstein perspective like in his book range um that you go through you may want to go through a sampling period and then you find out if it's something that's of interest and then quit fast yeah and I, I say that with all reverence to the fact that you know i'm a coach and i do guided meditation and all these other sort of things but for for me other people noticed that it was working for me before I was satisfied with what was going on. Yep. Um, and so that would be the only caveat I'd offer for folks. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's actually, I, I feel that pressure in like the Western world, Western business world, Western culture to like, yeah, how do we, how do I make myself more efficient? How do I get more done? Um, I, I also sometimes don't want to be efficient or some, I, I guess I've, I'm starting to learn the benefit of sometimes not. Yeah. Yeah. Being sort of the American mindset, there is a milieu of the, you know, Greek thought and, you know, sort of Protestant work ethic. Yeah. And <laughs> that is, is sort of baked into a part of our context. Right. And, and so Nixon is this idea, N-I-K-S-E-N, okay. of deliciously doing nothing. <laughs> uh, and so this is uh, like something that. that the Dutch um, are sort of, of playing around with as, as a sort of notion of being able to, to productively not do anything. Yeah. And if, <laughs> if, you, if you can tell me straight-faced that you've been beating your head against a problem and going and taking a shower or going for a yeah, walk exactly. didn't help you at some point, yep. then you can say like, all right, you go all the time. Like just, there's no giving up, you know? Yep. Uh, and so to me, uh, you know, kind of a, when we start looking at how do I operationalize this or like, you know, that's great. What do I do with this? It's kind of building into your day, these sort of pauses, right? Yep. I had a colleague who was just amazingly productive and he basically said he time sliced. He like held up his little like tomato timer yep. and he time sliced. And so he gave himself 25 minutes on and five minutes off. And, yep. and that five minutes off to him was as important as the 25 minutes on Interesting. that, that, yeah. that gave him a little bit of a distance. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I, I find that during my work day, I'm kind of subconsciously like striving for getting into that flow state where you kind of like lose track of time. You feel like you, you're very productive. And then afterwards I feel happy or fulfilled in, in some way, but it's hard to get there. And so sometimes I'm kind of like spending the whole day striving for that. And I never really get there. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance that the timer didn't get reset when he was in flow state. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I think we gotta be, you know, we gotta be real about this yeah. for a second. And if you, when you get into a flow state, yep. like I'm, going to encourage you to, to, to enjoy that and yeah. be in that to a certain extent, because the residual resistance to getting back into it mm -hmm. is, is just sort of, um, remarkably frustration inducing yeah. kind of situation. So, so the, the thing for me is, um, when I'm in and out, in and out, in and out of that, how can I be skillfully moderately productive? Yeah. And so if I can, if I can help keep myself kind of in this band of moving along and I can trudge along, then hopefully those glorious flow states will, will come along at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Let's switch to some practical. Yeah. Like how might someone get started exploring meditation or mindfulness for themselves? What are, what are some like kind of recommended or curated uh, resources that, that you would share with people if they came to you and said, hey, how do I learn about this more? How do I get started? 
so to start out with, if, if you're, you know, kind of in that, we talked about the skeptical camp, you can look for um, secular meditation materials. So you can you just include the word secular. Yep. Um, what that's basically acknowledging is that they're removing the cultural, the religious cultural context from it. Yeah. So, um, so you'll find um, M- MBSR uh, materials, mindfulness-based stress reduction materials um, is, you know, definitely a a place to start. I would encourage folks to consider looking at maybe what you might consider like mindfulness adjacent or meditation adjacent activities hmm. that are an easy way for you to begin training those skills to, to use that skills mindset uh, and bringing those in. And so, you know, you may want to start with something like Rob Walker wrote this amazing book uh, called The Art of Noticing. And he offers up these different things for you to begin to look at uh, the world around you in a different kind of way. And so, you know, the, the things are, um, you know, what's a sound map of your neighborhood? Um, you know, looking for where are letters, where are numbers, um, you know, kind of as you move in and about your space. And so to me, from a coaching perspective, now you're kind of out moving and you're beginning to sharpen your noticing abilities. And that noticing ability then becomes really helpful for you when you do formal, try to do formal practice. Those are, are to me, low barrier of entry kind of places for, you, for folks to begin. You'll find a lot of guided uh, guided meditations. Um, if you like my perspective, you can get guided meditations from me for free at uh, leonards.us. Um, and so that's that's an option. No ads or anything on there. So yeah. you know, <laughs> no, it's, it, this is just a... And you do, is it every Tuesday? Or is it every weekday you, oh, you do something? It, at least for January. Um, I've been doing what I refer to as uh, the afternoon idle, mm-hmm. I-D-L-E. So this sort of, of your purposeful pause in the middle of a day. And so it's on my YouTube channel and I just do a guided meditation. It's a 15-minute meditation. The goal is to make it accessible to, to folks that may be new. Yep. Um, and then probably the most interesting thing now is that we have sort of app-based uh, there's a whole area of research around app-based intervention. Okay, you'll you'll find um, like uh, breath by Dr. Uh, Judd Brewer mm-hmm. is one that will take you through breathwork um, perspective of of just doing um, deliberate inhales and exhales, and the, the the rationale behind this is that accentuating the exhale actually releases the vagus the break on the vagus nerve and shifts you into a rest and relaxation mindset, or it puts the parasympathetic system online. Yeah. And so, so the, the breath is, is a, again, sort of adjacent to meditation can be beneficial in that regard yeah. for some folks. If you've, if you've got issues, right? Like now we're in the grip of COVID, yeah. uh, you know, the, if you have issues around the breath, then that may not be for you. So, um, there are a lot of other apps that, um, that will kind of bring you through kind of a guided, um, beginning and get you kind of from, from not knowing anything to being uh, a little more on the, um, bearings and, and kind of where to go. So what are, what are some of the common pitfalls that people run into that, that maybe cause them to kind of like bump out and, and, and stop yeah. their learning of meditation or mindfulness or, or to be get frustrated by enough to be like, ah, that's not for me. You know, I'm going to do something else. So what are some of those things to, to look out for and be aware that like that you are going to hit these speed bumps, you are going to kind of bump into these things and that could be okay or could be not okay. To a certain extent from doing coaching, you know, this shows up for people in different ways. Part of it is, is patience and perfectionism. 
So there's a there's a 1600s quote from uh, Blaise Pascal, which is mm-hmm. something to the effect of all of humanity's problems generate from our inability to be alone in a room by ourselves. Yep. Uh, and so I say that not to sort of kind of mock where we're at or any kind of social commentary for what you know technology has done to our, our attention span. But I mentioned yep. that it's <laughs> from the 1600s because this has been kind of a challenge for, for a significant amount of time. Yeah. So I think that that helps in maybe, or my intent in sharing that is to help in the imperfection that it, that is sort of part of the acknowledgement of doing this. Yeah. I think the, the thing that comes up most often and, and I, from an anthropology perspective would love to know how this sort of seeped into our consciousnesses as adopters. But the idea that, um, that thoughts are the enemy or that we need to stop thinking. Yep. So that's, that's often the biggest hindrance to folks. And that's partly because we, when people talk about meditation, especially when they're from an outside context, they talk about emptying the mind and things along the lines. What they're pointing out to people that have yet to start meditating is this is something that maybe may be in quotation marks available to you after <laughs> some large amount of time. Yeah. But just like getting in and out of a flow state is a dicey endeavor, getting to the point where you've meditated long enough that you may have sort of thoughts sort of like slow down or, or sort of cease yep. is, is remarkably dicey. So when someone talks about that early on as a way to entice someone to get into the practice, it sets up this uh, situation where if I'm thinking, then it, that's, uh, that's a problem. Right. So can I put them in the background and allow them to be there yep. in the same way that, you know, the sky is not angry about there being clouds, yeah. <laughs> like is the poetic sort of yeah, thing, right? Like, like the sky doesn't, you know, like beat it clouds. Right. And to go back to our sort of skills framing of all this, that helps us um, to strengthen that equanimity perspective. It's just sort of allowing things to be where they are. Yep. Um, and being able to know kind of just getting yourself to the point where you can sit down and do the practice that that's a, that's a, a win right there. Yeah. So I have a colleague who's an, an agile coach and a senior software engineer, uh, Rob Myers has always said to me, the, the notion is frequency over duration. Yep. So we want to try to sit in formal meditation more frequently, um, as opposed to like, Oh, I didn't sit yesterday. So I'm going to sit twice as long as I did the day before. Yep. Um, so it's sort of that notion of being able to kind of be okay with starting out at two minutes or three minutes or uh, going along those lines of, of starting sort of small. Cool. Well, let's kind of close it up. But did you have sure. any closing thoughts or ideas or things, you know, maybe you've been spe- as you've been speaking and you noted something you wanted to share with folks? I would. The last thing I would offer is that you may see this as a kind of J-shaped curve. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that enough people tell people that, (laughs) you know, when you start out, you may start noticing a lot more of kind of what's going on from your inner weather. And that can actually be a little bit of a demotivator at the beginning. So that's that, this like J shaped curve where it brings me down a little bit. What that then leads to is sometimes people will, will sort of stop and be like, yeah, I'm, it's not for me. And that's okay. But the, the idea that this is a J-shaped curve that you may want to try to extend your experiment a little bit further just to see if you can get through that gully um, is, is something that I would just kind of offer. Because 
I at least experientially have have seen a lot of folks kind of I don't want to I don't want to oversell uh, the benefits of, of meditation and or mindfulness meditation, um, which is why I love the logging analogy yeah. uh, so much. But um, it is often sort of of sold in a way of like the sort of these sort of benefits and and so to me it's it's far more important, especially with colleague like what I experience from my colleagues to be just forthright and be like you may experience this you may not but knowing that there's this potential for you to be a little bit of a down and discouraged about the fact of how much I'm thinking or how hard it is for me to stay on um, it's it's very much in the sort of fitness goal perspective like yep. I lost a lot of weight and I started out at 350 pounds and I got down you know probably let's see now about a hundred something pounds, 120 pounds. And I used my weight to up my advantage. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I did body weight exercises and I used this thing that mm -hmm. was potentially a weakness to my advantage. So I would offer that the thoughts and the distractedness give you an increased amount of opportunities to practice with bringing your attention back. Yeah. And then every time I bring my attention back, it's an opportunity to not be mean to yourself. Yeah. So to do that with care. Yep. And so it's not this, you know, judgment around, you know, you're, you're not doing it right or, or things along those lines. So that would be the, the thing for me that I haven't included yet. Yeah. But I would leave people with. Um, cool. Well, thanks very much, Andrew. Appreciate you Thank spending you. spending time. And thanks everyone for for listening. And we will hear you, see you next time on Codish. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.